Hello, this is 52, a new independent podcast that takes the traditional interview format and chucks it straight out of the window. Instead of a pre-planned chat, each of my guests will draw cards from a deck, each turn revealing a random question that will chart our course over the next half an hour or so. That can mean a very serious chat, a ridiculous one, a mixture of both. It will all be left to chance. This is 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos, the UK's largest operator with 52 venues worldwide and online at grosvenorcasinos.com. And in my hands right now, the questions that will determine whether this episode turns out to be the ace in the pack or a busted flush. Expect surprises along the way as I take 52 seconds exactly to introduce my special guest. They called him Magic Chris, and for a very good reason. Seen as a luxury product by some in his era, he's the type of player who today would fetch untold riches in the modern game. A Sunderland fan who became a Newcastle United hero, played alongside the likes of Keegan, Hoddle and Gascoigne. And when one foot worked much better than the other, he simply practised with the other one till he developed a second wand. He set up goals for everyone, from Clive Allen at Spurs to Jean-Pierre Papin at Marseille. A player of the year when he was at Sheffield Wednesday, and at 59 years old, he still can't resist pulling his boots on. Within his story, we're going to find near misses, a few actual hits, and a haircut that will live forever in the echelons of football folklore. Turning cards instead of turning Paolo Maldini. Our 52 guest for this episode is Chris Waddle. Hi, Chris. Hiya. Thanks for agreeing to be a, 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 to assist us uh, as you do so well in our experiment. Are you ready to shuffle up? Yep, let's go. Let's do it. So excited. First question. It's all on you, mate. Pick a card, any card. Middle of the pack. Okay, Tony Clubs. What's the best sport and motivation, love or hate? Proper philosophical start. Well, I've got to say, it was never hate. I loved the game. So um, I was never an aggressive player, as people will tell you. You know, the the thing I always wanted to do was obviously you want to win. You've got a determination for that. But also, I'd love to win, and I'd love to win by entertaining. Mm. And that was as good as, for me, was getting a goal or making a goal. Uh, and nutmeg was great. Uh, you know, as your career goes on, people expected you to do things. And it did get to a stage where I, I did get a little bit concerned because, especially Chevy Wednesday, when I, I used to pick the ball up, could hear all the seats flapping where people stand up. <laughs> and you used to lay it off and you used to hear like, uh, oh, is this what was a disappointment? But you know, when you've got like three guys around you, you think, well, there must be two guys spare somewhere. So, but they probably didn't understand that. They used to say, oh, dribble, and if you lose it, who cares? Yeah. I thought my teammates care. So uh, I always used to love the game. I would say I, I was never pumped up to be like, let's kick somewhere, let's be aggressive. Um, so it would be love for me. It ties back to actually one of the lines in the intro, which is how you'd be viewed today as a footballer, to how luxury, in inverted yeah. commas, players were viewed in, in your heyday. Because people, I would imagine, would have translated the attitude you've just described as, well, he doesn't care. Because it was all there was so much more fire and brimstone and stick it up them and managers swearing and throwing things at walls. Today, that's not the case. People wouldn't look at a flamboyant player and say, "Well, you don't care." Did you face that? Yeah, I think when I first started playing, I think people said, um, "Great at home, goes missing away sometimes," um, which in my mind, I, I, I didn't because I used to think a football pitch is a football pitch. Yes. The crowds in the terrace and they can't—they're not on the pitch. They're not kicking you. They're not chasing you. So I, I could never get this bit about, oh, they're great at home, but rubbish away. I, I couldn't work that out. So I relied on service. So 
Then I'd analyse my game after and think, if I've had the ball 25 times and I've used it well 22 times, mm. how can you say I was a luxury? Mm. But yeah, I, and I know as soon as the game kicked off, I knew the fullback was going to kick us. Uh, I knew within the first five minutes, <laughs> I knew I'd get a shoe in. And lucky enough, with playing pub football as a kid uh, at 14, uh, with men, I learned how to ride all the challenges of all the big guys, you know, who probably had 20 pints the night before. So when I came to the pro game, I'd see it coming. But the only problem then was, not like today, was it would take like three kickings before they book them. Yes. So that was the, the, the thing you had to look at. I always say that to the young'uns. That's you, by the way. If, if your back pricked up when I said young'uns, then that's probably you. I say, yes, I get it's faster now. And I get there's more, probably, it's probably more skillful football today, whatever you want to call it, tricks and, and, and what have you. But, you know, if you go back to the days of the flamboyant players like Waddle and Barnes and go back to, I think George Best is the best example yeah. of it, right? You had to get kicked for your art and it was allowed. And just some of my favorite moments of watching George Best back is when you think, how did you stay on your feet? Yeah. Never. And it would be a mercurial goal. And, but then you'd rewind it a bit and say, he was, someone just went right through the back of him and he stayed on his feet. Remarkable. He had, uh, listen, George Best was arguably the best player. He had the right name. He was arguably the best player in the world. And I grew up watching George Best and thinking, wow, this guy's like amazing. Um, and the way he just used to walk around with the ball at times and do things, he was so arrogant, but it was just confidence. And he believed he was that good. So, you know, lucky enough, I played against him in a friendly a testimonial at Hibs, and he was brilliant for half an hour. He hit the bar twice, um, and then he hit the bar third time because I saw him in the bar drinking. So <laughs> I... Uh, he, he did, he took, oh, I've had enough half an hour, and next thing he was in the bar. So we met him after, I got the same photo off him, and I was shaking uh, when he signed the photo. And, um, you know, and then he said, do you, do you want a drink? And I said, yeah, yeah, well, wow, you know. Uh, so I sat at the bar, had a drink with him, and he's talking, and then he says, you want to get yourself a good agent and all this, and uh, give us a bit of advice. Uh, How old were you then? Uh, well, I would have just been 22, 21. Wow. So, you know, to me, to play against him, it was a testimonial. Uh, we won, I think we won, it was 5-2 and whatever. And, uh, and he came up us after and said, hey, you, you've got a good, you're a good player. And I'm thinking, George Best telling me I'm a good player. I was like, wow. And then, uh, you know, as I said, I said, yeah, I'm going to autograph. We couldn't get an autograph. And he had a pocket load of photos and say, Brilliant. inside pocket. Brilliant, there and you I, go. He was ready and he went, yeah, you are, signed it. And uh, that was it. It's so funny. I had the exact same experience of watching him in a testimonial. Pat Jennings, he was in no shape at all. I think he came off the bench in 70 minutes, picked the ball up midfield three minutes later, scored from 25 yards out and went off. It was one of the greatest things <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Right, first question is the 10 of clubs. And if you get a pair or more, even just a pair in your five cards, Grosvenor Casinos will give £1,000 to the okay. Carers Trust. So you said, okay, halfway through that sentence, and I was worried in your head, you're going, oh, it's my money. I'm getting it. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll take a grand. So that's it. That's great. The Cares Trust does so much good work, yeah. supporting families to look after those people that really need it. So we've got a 10 of clubs on the board. I hope the next one's a 10, but I'm sure we'll get a pair. Hopefully. Hopefully. Right, so riffle, just say stop. Stop. <laughs> nowhere near a 10 is it <laughs> yeah, this is one of the two or three questions in the pack I have to say I was like looking forward to but dreading coming out because it's a little naughty it's the queen of hearts okay one night with dot 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 we know what we're talking about here Chris one night with one night with what a night out with somebody no come on one night with not out with one what? night with you know what one night you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, let's say, you know, for a wee bit of a 
uh, canoodle. Okay. What um, with? And I'll, I'll make it a little easier in that it could be past or present, so you could go back into any era. Okay. I won't make it have to be modern day. That's okay. literally one of the hardest questions in the deck. It is, it is a hard question, <laughs> I've got to say. Um, I, I like all the old actresses, to be fair, you oh. know, growing up. Um, I'm trying to think the girl who was in um, The Quiet Man with John Wayne. That is properly going back. Yeah. Because that was filmed in Ireland. Yes. Uh, I watched it about 45 times. Right. So, so I can't think of her name. But she was uh, absolutely stunning. So uh, modern day, very hard. Um, I like the idea of going with the woman whose name you can't remember. I can't remember. From, from, from the, the quiet, quiet Man. From the Quiet Man. But I'm, I'm with you on this. If I had to answer that question, I may go for Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. You know, no, and, and in yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's, just wonderful. There was so, there was so many, though, you know, in that, that era of um, women actresses and, you know, always the, the man who was opposite them was always a top actor as well, whether it be yeah. people like Cagney and, mm-hmm. you know, James Stewart and all these guys. Were, and I used to love all them films, but the, the women were always, like, immaculate. Untouchable. Yeah, they were immaculate. Brilliant. There you go. Who would have ever thought the woman from The Quiet Man was going to be the... <laughs> I never thought that's where we'd go. Right, that's a very good answer as we move on to question three, which, as you know, is the stacked deck. Chris, this is where, before the show... I selected a card and a question that I really wanted you to answer. I've given you the seven of diamonds, which doesn't help with a pair, but we've got two more yeah. cards to come. What is your most memorable dressing room moment? Uh, I can tell you the worst one. I can't tell you the best one. Um, Could I, even though it says in the card, what's your most memorable dressing room moment? Can I say moments? Can I add an S on? I'll write it on with a pen if you want. I'll tell you why, because I've definitely got follow-ups. <laughs> yeah, well... The first one for me probably was um, when we got promotion at Newcastle United and we all had to stand on the pitch side and it was bloody freezing, as it is up there. And um, we had to wait for Kevin Keegan to get in the helicopter. And he was only going up the road to the Gosforth Park Hotel. <laughs> but we had to stand and wait as if, like, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Uh, and I always remember the story. I had Peter Beards, he wanted Kevin's shirt, it was his last game. Yeah. And as Kevin got in the helicopter, he took it off and gave it to uh, the security guard <sighs> and said... Give that Peter Beersy. Peter Beersy never got it. But no, no, the guy put it down his thing in. I think he got on. But yeah, that that day was amazing. I mean, you know, I sent my Newcastle, and two and a half years later, uh, you know, I'm a regular on the team. Kevin Keegan walks through the door, and it's like, nah, we were terrible by it at that time. We were shocking. We couldn't score. It was we were terrible, honestly. And we had about eight Geordies in the team, and all of a sudden, we get uh, one, two, and Madeira preseason. We come back. Uh, and, no, somebody's heard whisper that, you know, Kevin Keegan signed. Well, shut up, you're not going to sign for us. And we got <laughs> back and he walks in the training ground and the place just took off. It was like, we were probably getting about 21, 22,000 if that. Kevin Keegan signed, they've done pre-season, we've come back and it's 36,000 there and there's like 20,000 outside. And we beat QPR 1-0 on the first game and he scored, you know, he said a great line after where he went, oh, you know, he says, I've got the space. And as I rolled up past the goalie, the crowd sucked it in. And it was just a great lane to say, you know, Beautiful. we were all like, wow. Uh, and he just, the, the standards of the club, just everything lifted, you know, from the supporters. But I always remember that last day, everybody was just like, you know, we had, it was the old big baths in. Yes. You know, champagne and, you know, no disrespect, a, a year earlier, I thought, there's no way they'll ever get a glass of champagne in this we were going nowhere. Yeah. You know, we may have got a brought a brown ale or something like that, but we're never going to get champagne. And we're sitting in the bath, you know, I'm sitting there with Keegan and 
Charlie McDermott and Peter Beardsley and go oh, got a bottle of champagne in my hand and I'm thinking I just can't believe how how'd that happen? Yeah. How am I here? Yeah, it was. And then obviously uh, unfortunately Tottenham didn't sort we know a good change room, but didn't win and great mm. players. What a team eighty seven was, one of the best teams I ever played in. Uh, Marseille won the first league. Um but it was strange because uh, to me it was like, Yeah, ooh, I've actually won a you know, a, a league title. Yes. And uh, the French players were like, yeah. You know, they didn't really know how to celebrate like we did. We used to go mad. You know, if you win a trophy, you're on a drink for a week. And MIA, you just go yeah. absolutely mental. Where the French were like, yeah, yeah, we've won the league. And, uh, well, we'll see you after the break, you know. Somewhere. And, um, Crazy. So, so I was like, no, 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 we've got to go out and celebrate. And, no, no, we'll be all right. And, so just went home? Yeah, the basically meal. we had a drink in the ground in the change room. <laughs> Again, a few bottles of champagne was going round. Yeah. And then um, that was it. They all got in the cars and <laughs> drove home. And I thought, wow. What I get from that then is it's the place you dread the most when you lose and the place you cherish the most when you win. Part of it for the secrecy as well and the privacy after being in the public arena. So it's interesting that your mind immediately then went to 87 and the worst dressing room, I'd imagine, going back in after the Coventry game. Yeah. You know, when you're such a big favourite to win a cup final. Yeah. It only ever gets told from the one side, that story, doesn't it? Yeah. But that must be the one room on earth you don't want to walk into because it's kind of like it's real when we walk in there. The problem with 87 was we had a great team and on, on paper, and people would say, no, you weren't. They better. So-and-so are better than you. On paper, on the day, we were the best team, but we played so many games. Honestly, we, we got three games of League Cup semi-final against Arsenal, which we lost the third one because mm. we, we won 1-0 there, lost 2-1 at home, and tossed up for the next one. We lost at home. And then we had like a backlog of Premier League game, which was League Division 1, but we had mm. so many games to play no, it was like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Yes. Uh, then the cup final starts rolling up, and you think, "Wow!" Uh, you know, I was busy as well with Damon Lates at the time. So it, priorities, it was, it, it priorities. Was just, it was just like a hectic time, and we just thought, you know what? If we'd focused on one of them, mm. it's easy to say that now, but we unfortunately we didn't have the squad to cope with the amount of games we played. And I'm not sure the actual true facts, but I think we played about ten or twelve games more than Coventry. Yeah. And it took its toll on that. And especially Wembley, which drags you. It's a heavy pitch. Like, it, it, you know, it does drag you down. And um, as the game went on, you know, Coventry were really up for it. And yeah. who wouldn't be? But lucky enough, it was a massive distraction about uh, the shirt sponsors. Half the team didn't have the name on. Why was that? I don't know what happened. But what, like way, a printing error? Yeah, there was like, uh, we were sponsored by uh, Holston. Holston, yeah. And uh, there was only five, six shirts had Holston on. <laughs> and then that became the talking point. And basically, wait, Holston... Went mad, yeah. But they got more publicity out of having no, nothing on the shirt. It was the front page of every paper the next day. I don't even remember that. That's amazing. And uh, that sort of took over the yeah. defeat. Yeah, you know, it, coming out, the press was saying, "Not like, uh, how do you feel?" It was like, "Did you have Holston on your shirt?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> and we never knew though till about twenty minutes into the game. Mm. That was the stack deck, and I now want to ask about young Eric Cantona come to the dressing room, and I want to ask about Gaza in the dressing room, but if I do that, this becomes a normal interview, and this isn't a normal <laughs> interview. It's 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos, the UK's largest casino operator with, you guessed it, 52 casinos nationwide. So let's get back and leave it to chance now. Top or bottom, Chris? Oh, top. It is the king of diamonds. We still don't no, have a pair yet. No. This is interesting because I'm, I'm really not sure you own one. What is the last message and the last picture message you sent from your phone? To the missus yesterday. Yes. Yes, I'm in the pub. <laughs> and picture message? We might have to go back a while here. 
You know what? It was probably a, a passport fort I sent to Radio 5. <laughs> Which, by the way, you ain't going to need anymore. Yeah. Um, that's interesting, actually. I'm down the pub, I'm down the pub. You've never, ever really left the working class environment. No. You're proud of it. You cling to it. And I think as well, this is about football. I don't think even sitting here at 59, you've retired really. No, I played the other week, obviously. Uh, I have played. Is it for a pub team? I played for a pub team, but I, I, I do play some Saturdays for a, a club called Hallam, who um, have got the oldest football ground in the world. Yes. But we don't play on that. Uh, but I play for their 45B team uh, some weeks when I'm not working, obviously, at games. We train Tuesday nights, but unfortunately, I pulled my calf last Tuesday, so I'm going to be out for three or four weeks. So, uh, yeah, I still love it. And people keep saying, why do you keep playing it? And I went, because I lo- actually love it. Right. I started at pub football, finished in pub football. I still play basically pub football. But as I've always said, as long as I can put the boots on, as long as I can go out, I don't look where people go, Chris, stop, please. You look embarrassing. Uh, I'll just keep playing. How far can you still ping a ball? 50, 60 yards. Oh, my God. See... Because the thing is, when I was younger, I could kick a ball a lot further than I can now. But I have no skill, right? So it's not really about strength, is it? No. It's about like knowing how it's technique. It's timing, technique. Um, oh. But uh, Listen, I, when I was playing, I could kick a ball. I mean, I had a, once I had a bet at Marseille, and before they did the ground up, which is fantastic now, you know, it was the old velodrome, it was the old bicycle track, but it had one main stand, which was absolutely enormous. And... Uh, all the lads used to say, because I used to kick the ball up in the air uh, as high as I could. And it used to go very high. And the players, I used to say, you've got to keep it up without hitting the ground. Right. And now I said, no, we can't. Nobody does that. And I went, I'll show it. And I did it. And I kept it up with my knee and then my foot. And uh, so they used to say, go on, kick it, kick it, kick it. And I used to kick it, honestly, so high. And they come down. And hardly anybody ever, well, I don't think they ever did it. Uh, and then they said, I tell you what, we'll give you this, that, and the other if you can clear the stand. Yeah. And uh, I did. And I got a 25 quid faint for a new ball. Because <laughs> it went in the car park and some kid ran off with it. But, you know, it was just something. But I've always been able to kick the ball males. And, um, you know, I, obviously when I was young, I could kick it a lot further. I'm not saying, I, you know, as you get older. But I can still kick it a fair way now. So, Would you be able to relate to this, right? So I, I played a game of five-a-side, six-a-side. It was my stag weekend, actually. And my mates were all there. And incidentally, footballers who I was mates with, just they weren't there because we were footballers. Pat Nevin was there. Perry Groves was there. I said, I want to be against Pat, right? Pat had just had a hip replacement three months earlier, two months earlier. And he'd already had another hip. So I think at this stage, none of his hips were his own. And he said, yeah, no problem, Colt. And I was in the opposite team. So going back 10 years. So I was still fit as a fiddle, actually, at the time. After 20 minutes, I could not breathe because he made a point of showing me the difference between being yeah. fit and being a football fit. Yeah. And I asked him later that night when I couldn't even stand up at my own stag, not from the booze, from playing against him. I said, talk me through it. How can I not get a ball off someone who's had two hip replacements? And he said, first of all, you look at the ball. I never look at the ball. And second of all, you kick a football. I kick a five millimeter point of a football. I, I finesse that football on postage stamps. You're just kicking a round object. Can you relate that? Because he was another mercurial player. I think, I think the difference between uh, going at the pro game and going to the level of what Pat's on about and obviously a, a normal Sunday morning footballer, they've all, listen, if you go down the leagues, you, you wonder, you sometimes watch a guy in League One or League Two and you think, he's good, isn't he? He looks a good player. But if you watch him regularly, you'll think, 
Why is he? Why, and then you realise why he's playing League One. Maybe it's just that split second he doesn't get his head up. He can't see it pass. He can't do a dribble properly. He, he, you know, he dribbles when he doesn't need it. And there's lots of players out there who are very technical, very good. I always say the same thing. It's it's just natural. You can improve your game because if you're kicking the ball around every day, it becomes normal. And you think, yeah, and you start experimenting with things, and you think, well, that's good. That then you work on that a little bit more. But in general, it's all... Somebody said to me, well, so when you run at the fullback and you used to beat the fullback and you used to go this way and go that way, nobody taught me that. Mm. I did that at four, five, three, four, five. My dad used to say, come on on the field. And I, used to, and I had it then. And he didn't say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Now, all that trick's like a step over, you can work at. But it's the art of getting it near enough to the fullback or the defender or whoever you're playing against. Anybody can run up and do a step over. Hmm. But it's getting it in the, the the zone where you think he's tempted to get that ball off me now. Yes. So, you know, I could do a trick from here to 10 yards away and stand there and going like this, feet all over the ball. I'm not beating anybody. I'm not doing anything. Correct. So it's the art of getting it into a, close enough to think, right, this is my chance now where he fancies he's going to win it. I've got him close enough now where he can't actually get it. But as soon as I see his leg move, hmm. I can go. The amount of times I had people who used to come up to me and say, in the players' lounge after... I knew what we were going to do. And I went, right. And I go, I just couldn't stop it. And then the players who I trained with at Tottenham were left, went to Norwich or whatever. I'd run at them and get one played Norwich. And I'd go back and he went, I knew when you were running waters, I knew exactly where your body was going. I thought, he's going, he's, he's going to go there. He's going to go there. And then I'd go and then something happened. And as I walked past, he went, I knew you were going to do that. But he said, I just can't stop it. I, everywhere I went, everybody kept saying, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. And I said, well, stop it. And it was a game on a Sunday morning once. When I was about 41, 42, and I played against this kid who was 18. Mm-hmm. God, it was a terrible pitch. It was horrible. It was a proper Sunday morning. Yeah. This big centre-half stood there, a bit gobby, yes. and he's shouting across to this fullback. And I'm going past him. He's buying every, anything, you know, yeah. basically. Every trick. Every trick. So he's going, do this, do that, do it. I said, yeah. Why don't you come out here? You come out here and stop. <laughs> you know, if I come out there, I'll put you in them trees. And I went, well, yeah, all right. So he's on at this kid all the way, and we, we, we win about five, I don't know, five, one or something. And as he's walking off, you know, he's shaking hands. And this bloke's giving it, and this kid was like that. He's only a young lad, he was about 18. And he's walking off like, you know, sick, his head's down. And I went, well played, mate, you know, stuck at it. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, he's got on my case. I says, listen, mate, don't worry about him. I says, Maldini felt the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. How did we get that from what was the last... Oh, yeah, you're down the pub, the pub mentality, playing yeah. football for love, right? Fantastic stuff. Okay, one more card. I want it... The only way we can get this grand is a 10, a queen, a 7, or a king. You've got nothing else on. No straights, no flushes, no anything. It's quite simple. Cut the deck. Right, there you go. Shall I reveal it or you? Yeah, yeah you can. It? it is the... King of Hearts, we got a pair. Yes, go. that's a thousand pound for the Cares Trust. And a deeply personal question to finish with, actually. And and I think when you pick out a heart, you'll find that happens quite a lot. When was the last time you cried? Oh, I do cry at certain documentaries and things. You're a crier. Uh, not a lot. I try not to hate it, you know. And people look at it as it's a sort of a, you know, I've got something in my eye. And, um, <laughs> I don't like healthy. showing it. I don't like showing it. Um, <laughs> I would say probably at the time I really cried, I, I'll go back to the semi-final 90. Right, okay. I finished the game uh, in 90 and really enjoyed the game. It was a great game to play in. Mm-hmm. It was a very open uh, football match. You know, they were very good. We were very good. Mm. And, was, you know, you just thought, who's going to win this? We should, for just in case younger people, we're talking England-Germany, semi-final. 1990. Sorry, England-West Germany. 
semi-final 1990 World Cup. Yeah, and so the game finishes. Really enjoyed the game. Uh, obviously, we saw uh, Gaza was uh, very upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was trying to get an advert with a tissue company. <laughs> and um, so, um, as, as we uh, walk off, I never thought of the shootout, so I thought, well, Gaza, I'll take one. He's, yes. he's Gaza. So, uh, and, he's, and he's such in a mess. And then he says, I'm not taking one. So, as we stood there, uh, Bobby Robson said, uh, okay, I need a penalty taker because, obviously, look at the state of Paul. And um, everybody just stood looking at each other. And I thought, you know what, I've really enjoyed the game. And I felt, you know, really confident. Even though I wasn't a penalty taker, uh, I think I took four in my career and missed three. Mm. So uh, going into it, it wasn't really the right thing to do. But somehow I just thought, yeah, I'll take it, put my hand up. And I thought, well, if it's the first or second, well, you know, I've got a chance. And I didn't realise it was the fifth. Yeah. Did anyone else put their hand up? No. Okay. No. Gaza did. But he wanted to be excused. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, as I'm sitting there, uh, we stood on halfway lane. Obviously, the lads go up, Linnick, uh, Beardsley. I'm watching the goalie, and I'm thinking, right, 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 right goalie's left. He's, he's not going to left it once, this goalie. And Piercy goes up, and uh, goalie saves it, you know. And Platty goes up and scores. Germany obviously didn't miss it. They were just yeah. whacking them in. And, yeah. and anyway, I thought, I'm going to go for power. And uh, if the goalie saves it, it'll hurt him or it'll knock him out if it's him in the head or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I just thought I've got to hit it as hard as I can, and I, you know, walking up, great. And then people say, "Oh, it must be a massive walk. It must take for it." It didn't. No, it wasn't. It was great. I walked up and thought, "Now I'm doing." Put the ball down, and there's a saying in football that sometimes you hit the ball too well. Now I hit it far too well, right? Like you did when you used to hit it over the yeah. So I stadium. So, you know what happened <laughs> with the, you know what happened with the ball though? This is a true story. This ball flies over. I mean, everybody forgets that because the game's finished. Yeah, you know that that is it basically. England's out. We're not going home. We're playing third and fourth. But basically, that's it. Uh, the ball goes. It bounces on the running track. Mm. It goes over the fence into the crowd, and this little kid catches it. So the kid keeps the ball, leaves. So after the World Cup, we go back to Newcastle. I've got like a week in Newcastle. We all go back to Marseille. Yeah. And as uh, I'm in Newcastle, one of the breakfast shows says, "Could you come on breakfast show uh, TV?" We'll put you in Newcastle studio and we'll just link, you know, London. I thought, well, I can't avoid everybody. You know, Correct. sometimes you've got to put your hand up and say, yeah, yeah. So I go in the studio anyway, and they say, well, you know, Chris, how are you feeling? I went, well, you know, <laughs> not great, but, uh, you know, football goes on. Oh, I've got a surprise for you. Oh, I thought, no. Anyway, this kid walks in with a football. So I'm looking and I'm thinking, what's he, what's he got? And they said, oh, Chris, uh, so-and-so, uh, he says, would you uh, sign his ball? Uh, yeah, yeah. I said, why? They went... This is the ball from the World Cup. He says, uh, the lad's from Derby. And uh, I thought, wow, I knew it travelled a long way, but I didn't know it was <laughs> Derby. Anyway, he says, uh, you know, would you send me ball? He's only a kid. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I tried to change the pen for a knife, but I couldn't find That's one. That's crazy. And so I signed it. And that was it. I, you know, I think he's still got it. He lives in Derby. He's about, he's in his 40s, I think now. But, a few quid for that, yeah. And, uh, and then I went back to Marseille and uh, we got a new coach. And as I walk on the pitch to join training, they'd been back a week. As I walk out there, the coach turned around and goes, ah, my favourite Englishman. <laughs> and we just got Franz Beckenbauer as manager. <laughs> Do you know what? So the crying bit then, back in the dressing room. Yeah. So we come back to that again. Yeah. Were, were you crying because you were disappointed because England probably would have won that final yeah. if they'd have got there? Yeah. The whole lot. The whole yeah. lot. Because that team was... We've that, come a long way. Yeah. I think the 86 team was the one for me, though. Good because, sake. and I don't get why... Okay, look, no. In 2020, I do get it. You move on, it's only football. 
But I, I still don't kind of get like the Maradona hero status in England. Because if it was an Englishman that had done that to Argentina, you'd never get back in there. I'm not saying that's the right thing. If you'd have done that, you wouldn't get back in. But I would say the same thing. If Gary Lineker had done it, we would have said, how clever was he? Yes. Now, you know, listen, we don't like to say cheating. We, we, this, our country actually detests people who cheat at football. You know, we need one to dive. You know, how many times when the first foreign players started coming in or rolling around, you know, cheat, dive, cheat, cheat, cheat. Now, you know, English players are doing it. So... Um, if Gary Lineker had done that in that game, everybody would have said, he's cheated there. But we're in the quarterfinal. Yeah. We're in the semifinal, sorry. So I can understand both sides of it. And I played with Maradona, Tottenham, in a testimonial for Ozzy Ardiles. And uh, he was a nice guy. Um, great player. He got man-to-man marked in a testimonial by Inter Milan. I thought, how boring is that? <laughs> and I said in Milan, why, why are you mar- mar- marking him? Just let him play football. And they went, he's not embarrassing. Well, he takes a mickey out of you, so he's not. Yeah. And uh, he had no boots. He had Clive Allen's boots on. Clive got them straight off me. He hadn't even sat down to change room. Clive was riving these boots off his foot. <laughs> and he got up to sign the Puma sign. And he still got them, I believe, in the uh, case. But uh, yeah, I know uh, 86 was a great team. But I just thought after 88 Euros, we were terrible. We were yeah. all over the shop. Um, 1980, we sort of put England back on the map mm. as if to say, yeah, we could have won this. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people took a lot of uh, inspiration about the game and confidence and positivities about it, about like, hey, English football is really getting better. Mm. So I think that was a big part of it. Oh, if we'd won it, we'd still be partying now. But, uh, and who would have thought you'd have been the one got the advert out of it, not, not Gaza. Um, <laughs> so our final hand uh, is... Ten of clubs, what's the best sporting motivation? Love or hate, very much love. One night with who? Um, some Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara, you've remembered. What a way to go from the quiet man. What's your most memorable dressing room moment? We went back to Newcastle United getting promoted and everything that went with that game. What's the last picture, the last message you sent from your phone to the wife to say you're in the pub? And when was the last time you cried going all the way back to 1990? And that finishes then with the wild card. And, you know, that's me just having to pick one question before you leave. And I want to talk music. <laughs> and the question is this. If you could be a member of any band ever and live that life, who would you choose? Because obviously it was Hoddle and Waddle, Diamond Lights. But there was also you and Basil Bowley were number one in Albania. And I can't remember the name of the track. Um, um, Saga Saga Dance, it was called. There you go. Um, and that's probably all of it you need to hear. No, it was called We Got a Feeling. We Got a Feeling, yeah. That's, that, that's all of it you, you need to hear. There are good things about the internet and bad things. And definitely the bad thing is that dad is there at the moment. Um, but you love your music. Yeah. What, is, what, what would the group, be the uh, uh, The group I would love to be in, The Jam. Right. And do you I want to be just... Paul Weller? I, w- I wouldn't mind which one I was, but right. obviously Paul Weller went on to... But yeah. I've, I've, I've been to see From The Jam, which is obviously Bruce Foxen's band. Yeah. Uh, who do all the jam tracks. Uh, they, they tour around in small venues, so I've seen them in Butlins, I've seen them in the town here. Um, never met Weller. My daughter's dog, uh, Labrador, uh, where I walk basically every day, go there at work. He's called Weller. Fantastic. Um, so sometimes they say you don't meet your heroes, and uh, I've never met him, so... Um, <laughs> It's uh, a tricky one, yeah, Weller. Well, if, well, that's what I'm saying. So sometimes it's better not to meet somebody. But uh, I'd loved it. I, I just when the Jam first came on the scene in uh, you know '79, '78, I saw them on top of the pops, and uh, you know I just thought, wow, you know that's it. And then I, I bought all the albums, all the singles, all everything. I had the shoes with the weight in the middle, 
So it, yeah, I, I, I was. But I, lo- I love all music. Don't get me wrong. I, I love every. I love northern soul. I love yeah. punk rock. I love. I love uh, lots of types of music. But uh, the jam was just like. Did you and Stuart Pierce ever go to gigs together during your playing? No, career? sometimes we uh, we used to talk a lot because he liked the clash and right, yeah. I liked the clash and. But he would. Uh, I remember when we joined up in England once. We um, Graham Taylor's first game. He had to get up. And he had to sing his song. What Stuart? And uh, Stuart did. Everybody had to. Um, Stuart would have sang the Stranglers, right? No, he sang um, George Jackson. Really? Yeah, it was weird because I was doing his karaoke. I did Elvis because I thought it's an easy song to sing. Yeah, right. You know, suspicious minds or whatever it was. And yeah, I just belt, tried to belt that out. And he got up and did um, George Jackson, and I was like, "What a hard song to sing that is!" And he sang that. Uh, but yeah, we used to sit and talk. And he got, I know he went to a lot of gigs, and he still does that. And um, yeah. Yeah, he loved his music as well. But uh, yeah, with similar tastes. Yeah. Well, listen, probably the best line to end on at the end of this episode of 52 is the public gets what the public <laughs> wants, which probably sums up Chris Waddle as a player and a pundit. Thank you so much for taking part. Pleasure. Colin Murray's 52, sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos. No more bets. This podcast has been a Cop C production and Grosvenor Casinos is for over 18s only. Photographic ID may be required and please gamble responsibly.